This is the Canucks Central Post Game Show. Left point for Tanev. Back to Weger. High slot. Shoots. Scores! Puck comes free to dry side. The ball trying to scoop it past Markstrom. They score! Sheldon tries at the side of the net. Was able to fight it across the goal line. And the Canucks get on the board to make it 3-1. With the instant reaction from the players and coaches. Four minutes gone. Third period. Flames lead the Canucks 3-1. Shot from the point by Ethan Bear. Stopped by Markstrom. Rebound. They score. Elias Pedersen at the bottom of the right circle. Tucks it into the open net as Markstrom, out of his crease, was run into by Bo Horvat. On the official home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet Radio Network. Canucks end 2022 with a loss. And this is the Canucks Central Post Game Show on Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet Radio Network. Satyar Shaw with Vic Nazar. Canucks lose. 3-2 in Calgary against the Flames. And phone boards are open. 604-280-0650. Or toll-free. 1-888-275-0650. You can call in for your thoughts for 2022 and look ahead to 2023. How do you sum up 2022 as a Canucks fan? What are your thoughts on the year that's, that was for the Vancouver Canucks? And if you don't want to look back too much, you can also tell us what you're looking forward to or not looking forward to in 2023. Because, well, well we're left to talk about for the final day of this calendar year, Bic, is another poor performance overall by Vancouver. Not so much on from the team variety necessarily, more so from individual players making individual mistakes and their special teams being massively disappointing yet again. Yeah, it was another game, and, and we'll, we'll talk to Randy Peter in a second, but we've, we've echoed this before, of unforced errors. Mm-hmm. And you go back through the goals, and it, again... There were moments tonight where, yeah, the effort was good, and they competed, and the overall results, mm-hmm. the the five on five play and all that sort of stuff, it was fairly even. But they lost some of the key moments. Yep, and some of those key moments were unforced errors. So we talked about during the intermissions on those goals. That to me was a big trend again today. Yeah, Calgary not as sloppy. And the the key moments of the game, they they pretty much, I would say, won seventy five percent of them. Yeah, I, I'd say that's pretty accurate. Uh, let's go to Randy Janda, color commentator for us here on Sportsnet six fifty, alongside Brendan Bachelor's call. And Randy, I mean, you know, we, we were talking so much heading into this game about how the Canucks can finish off this year, and clearly. The way they finish things off is kind of what we've been talking about all season: details and critical moments coming up short. Absolutely, and uh, that was a story really in the second period when you're talking about that one nothing goal and OEL pinches, JT Miller has a decision to make. Does he back off a little bit or does he move forward and try to advance the puck and make sure that you get it deep? You know, that's a, a moment that you don't execute, goes back the other way, easy goal for Calgary. The Blake Coleman one, um, yet again, on the power play for the Canucks, and it turns into you can't get it deep again, but two players go off in a change, and that's a key mistake that goes back the other way. Another goal, and the mackenzie Weger goal, which, you know, up until that point, the fourth line was doing pretty good in the game, guys. But at that point, they can't get the puck out of their own zone, and what happens ends up in the back of your net. And overall, 5-on-5, five five, pretty even for the most part through at least 40 minutes in this game, yet those were the key moments that they lost. And, and echoing with the thoughts that you guys had, you know, you can sometimes maybe save yourself with a good power play in games like this where maybe it's one or two nothing and because of a power play in the second period, you can climb back into the game. But the power play was taking away confidence tonight. So just a, you know, not a necessarily an effort problem tonight. It was more of a 
Are you ready for that big moment? And Daryl Sutter coach teams, they're going to wait for that second. They take advantage of your mistakes, and that's exactly what happened tonight. Well, there was like a lot of bad line changes as well. Because like yep. some of the things that you know we've been talking about is, hey, you're not even boxing out properly, and one, that's one of the things they have shored up, right? Like they're boxing out better in front of their net. They're they're not quite as permissive in their own zone with their defending. But the details on line changes are still horrible, you know. And we've seen coaches and the opposition talk about how the Canucks can be taken advantage of in certain areas. One was around the net because they know they don't box out well. And like, like I said, that's improved a bit, but the line changes, they've been horrific all season long. And this is something that we saw last year as well at times, too many men penalties. And this clearly falls down on the players, but it's one of those things that we're seeing the same issues appear time and time again. And the head coach seems to not have any answers for how to fix this right now. Well, on the PK there, or sorry, on the power play, the Blake Coleman goal, the 2 nothing goal, you know, if you can't execute that and get it deep is one thing. But for JT Miller and Bo Horvat to kind of peel off there and go off on the change is one thing. Elias Pettersson is trying to get back into that play. Kuzmenko, maybe not going the hardest there, but he's clearly been out there for a while, but he's trying to make an effort to get back in that play. So that one comes down to, all right, is it a little too casual in the moment? And even earlier on in that game, in the first period, you could tell that the power play was a little casual, whether it was unit one or two. And that's a details thing, guys. That's a, you got to know who you're playing. And players like Blake Coleman, they don't take a shift off. Players like, you know, any Daryl Sutter coach team, they're not going to take a shift off. So, in those moments, you got to know who your opposition is. And I think, you know, giving your 110% in every single game is the expectation, but especially knowing that these guys can go the other way and score on you. And half of the guys on the ice with Elias Pettersson and Kuzmenko were trying to make uh, a play to get back in there. But, you know, Bo Horvat and JT Miller, just to peel off like that, yeah, that's something that you can't really have. And even before that, on the one nothing goal, where JT Miller can't get the puck deep, there was a pretty casual effort coming back the way, you know, back into his zone or the neutral zone from him as well. So that to me, and not mm-hmm. to pick on JT, because Bo Horvat was also to lay blame on that on that power play or, sorry, that shorthanded goal. But those are the details and the key moments in the game. You can't take a shift off. And mm-hmm. unfortunately for the Canucks, they, on the first two goals, you did see that. Uh, I, I do want to bounce around a, a little bit on this team. Uh, Will Lockwood uh, gets his... Uh, chance to come back into the lineup. Uh, I thought there was some good stuff. It, it's, in the first period, he had an icing that came on a play where it was a good rebound retrieval and a hard play but and skated out of the zone but kind of dumped it in. But later in the game, if they managed to get even a point out of this, there was a play he made on a Blake Coleman shot uh, where he blocks it with his stick. Uh, I, I thought he had a pretty you know decent game for a guy where we're still kind of learning a, a little bit about at the NHL level. And I'm sure he's still learning about it as well, where every <laughs> game that experience is really, you know, gathering, and he's he's probably gaining some confidence from. But, you know, it was that play that you mentioned, that block, that, that play on the stick, a uh, strong play there. But on top of that, you know, engaging Nikita Zadorov earlier on in the game, where this is a, one of the, the heaviest hitters in the league, and Lockwood goes after him and ba- almost dumps him into the Canucks bench. I like that engagement. Three hits tonight, one block shot. And he was rewarded playing next to Pedersen and Horvat. So, you know, he's one of the types of players that the Canucks need right now. And I don't know what his ceiling is, and I'm sure the Canucks are trying to figure that out as they go. Is there more offense in his game? But one thing he can do is he can disrupt, right? You mm-hmm. need more options than a Curtis Lazar. We talk about elevating Lazar into the lineup and playing on a first or second line. We know the offense is not necessarily there with Curtis Lazar. He brings the effort, but you feel like, 
higher up the lineup, he's not going to be able to generate offense for you. Can you get a little bit more for Will Lockwood? He's got one assist on the year in one game that he played against Buffalo. I like tonight's effort. I think he brought energy. And does he have the speed to engage, be aggressive on the forecheck? You saw that in, in spurts. But if you give him a little bit more runway, I'm excited to see what this guy has because I think we've all been excited by his intensity, his speed. But the hockey sense was the question early on in his career. And with time, with confidence in Abbotsford where he's been picking up goals, uh, that may be, you know, revisiting this a couple of months later. I, I like the I, what I saw from him tonight, but I want to continue to see, you know, what he can bring and how where that confidence is at. He's got 11 and a half minutes today. How does he follow it up now if he plays against the Islanders? Yeah, and that's one, that's one of the things that we want to see more, right, is not only getting in the lineup but being consistent. And I liked mm-hmm. a lot of what I saw from Will Lockwood and even got a bit of a promotion there in the third period. Uh, I did want to talk about Elias Pettersson a little bit because I thought in the first period the Pettersson line was the Canucks' best line. And then in the third, probably the Canucks' best line as well. And Pettersson did get the goal. He extends his point streak now to five games. He has 10 points in that stretch, up to 44 points on the season. And I thought with the goalie pulled, he was the one guy late in the game really trying to force the issue. I mean, one of the problems with this team is not that they're, you know, not trying, but are they playing with enough desperation? And late in the game, it seemed like Pedersen was the one that stood out significantly with desperation to try to win the game. You even saw him walking off the ice, you know, in disgust after the second period, uh, looking at at a play on the bench. I mean, his will to win and his desire is clearly there. It just seems like the rest of the team isn't at that level. Yeah, Sat, when you, the word you use there, will. Like, in the final minute of the game, final two minutes of the game, it felt like he was trying to will his team to victory, whether it was going deep to pick up the zone, uh, puck in his own zone and try to generate speed through the neutral zone, whether it was making plays at the offensive blue line. He was trying to do it all, and in a good way. This is not something that, you know, you can say, this is a guy that's trying to lead his team to victory. And if you start looking at not only the ability to make your line mates and your teammates better, I think Elias Pettersson did that with both lines that he played on tonight. But even beyond that, three block shots. We're talking about a star player here that is also putting in the effort on the defensive side of things. So to me, yes, it's disappointing to have that loss. And for sure, Elias Pettersson, after the second period, you saw that even when there was an offside call in that third period, he, you could tell he was disgusted at the call by the, the linesman. He was not happy yeah. with that. But that's what I want to see in the sense that, you know, this is a guy that is really, you know, busting his rear end out there, trying to generate, trying to be creative out there, trying to really work harder than anybody else out there. And unfortunately for him, it didn't work out. But that's what you want to see from your best skater. That's what you want to see from your best player where he's not taking a shift off. Even on that, you know, Blake Coleman goal, Who's who's trying to come back into the play and, and back check? It's Elias Patterson. So he is leading by example right now. So very sneakily, and, and he's been in and out of the lineup, but Sheldon Dries, four goals on the season for Sheldon Dries. Uh, and, you know, Bruce is willing to put him in back in the lineup and on power play too. Uh, you, you see his value in the offensive zone. It, it's, it's part of the other areas on the ice where I get a little concerned, but – Hey, like he's got four goals and very minimal ice time and very minimal opportunity as well. Yeah, two goals against Calgary as well, so he must yeah. like play in the Calgary Flames. But yeah, I think you look at that line, and if you want to talk about, you know, Elias Pettersson was probably the most consistent player tonight. Whatever line he was on, he was, especially in the first and third period. But Sheldon Dries and that line, they were consistent throughout. Even in dark moments in that second period, they were able to get that that goal and. I think with Sheldon Dries that, you know, and Bruce Boudreaux has talked about this. He's not necessarily going to wow you because 
whether he's an everyday NHLer, that's still a question. That's still a question, I think, for the team. And as a result, you've seen him scratch for three straight games prior to this. But when he is in the lineup, there's a couple things you know. You know that he's got the scoring touch. You know, you put up 35 goals in the AHL, you don't do that by fluke. You have to have good hockey sense. And what I like about his game is he's not shying away from the tough areas. And that's exactly where he scored today. It was a bit of a fluky goal, but how do you get that goal? You go to the right areas, and you make a a heck of a play to bat the puck in, but you're going there first. And there's a lot of players that will shy away from that area. And beyond that, you know, we've seen this in, in spurts as well when he's played on power play too. There's no hesitation in his shot. If he's in the bumper, he's ready to yeah. let that shot go. So, you know, that sense is there. It's just a matter of can he do it consistently. And, mm-hmm. and that's what, you know, separates you as an everyday NHLer versus a, you know, a guy that might float from the AHL to the, the NHL is that can you do it consistently enough? But tonight, I liked his game. I thought the trio of him and Besser and, and Connor Garland, especially in that second period, gave yeah. the Canucks something. They gave them some belief. They did. And, and, you know, if you want to look at the decisions that Bruce Boudreaux made tonight, you can say that one did work out because they did have a pretty solid game and they did score a goal. But in general, Randy, I, I know, especially with, you know, Rutherford not, never giving Boudreaux the vote of confidence you would want. And, you know, people say the criticism may have been crossing the line and Boudreaux doesn't get shown enough respect. And I think all those things are fair. And we can't blame Boudreaux for the problems with this roster and this team and their underachievements over the past few years. But I don't think he's finding enough answers this year, Randy. And like, look at the decisions tonight, too. Like the big main ones, putting JT Miller back mm-hmm. on the wing, playing with Bull Horvat and Curtis Lazar. They were a complete non-factor for half the game. It just seems like a lot of the choices he's making with the roster generally lead to not not the desired result more often than not. Yeah, especially at the, you know, and halfway through this game, kind of the John Tortorella quote came into my mind where, hey, great for Sheldon Drives and great for <laughs> Jack Studnika, but that's not good for your team if they're your best players, right? If they're the ones that are looking most dangerous in certain parts of the game. And I think at some point in time with, you know, you know Pedersen is going to give you most games, and we've seen that through this year, that generally, whatever line he's on, they're going to win their matchups. That's what they've been doing the last few games and the last number of weeks. That's that's pretty much a, a given right now. He's got to find a fit for JT Miller, whether that's down the middle or in the wing. And I know Bo Horvat and him have had success, but at other times, they've been outplayed. You have to find that right mix. And the fact that Horvat went with Pedersen on that line in the third period when you needed goals, uh, you could tell, even the ice time heading into the final two minutes of the game, JT Miller was around the 16-minute mark and got more as a result of being the extra attacker and having loading up on that the final few minutes. So, so to me, is that that's that's a fair comment to make because yes, there's been a lot of decisions that have he hasn't hit a home run. Yeah. Right? There's been a lot of outs here. So the biggest one for me is how do you get the best out of JT Miller? And JT Miller is the the biggest question for me. And I think with Bruce Boudreaux. You have to figure out what's what the key is here. Is it down the middle? Do you try to play that matchup game and hope that you could take advantage of the three-center situation that you have? Because even tonight, on the wing, when he was playing with Bo Horvat, wasn't much of a factor early on in this game. Yeah, I mean, and, and that's the thing to me. Like, where is the conviction in your decisions? And it just seems like, you know, changing and consistently and doesn't show yeah. a lot of conviction. And, hey, part of it is those guys aren't giving you enough, but chicken or the egg i suppose and either way it's not hatching the way you want hey great stuff as always randy happy so I, New Year. always with the eggs man you, you always, always you always have that breakfast i know you hey, listen eggs avocado tomato and any choice of toast i'm with you it, it's a great and you know it's, it's a great combination for, for the morning hey happy new year randy great stuff in 2022 and we look forward to chatting in 2023
Thanks, boys. Happy New Year to you, and happy New Year to all the listeners as well. Stay safe. Awesome Cheers, stuff. Uh, that is Randy Abjanda. Great stuff as always. And keep your thoughts coming into our text inbox, 650-650. You can grab a phone line as well, 604-280-0650 or toll-free, 1-888-275-0650. And, you know, the player who's taking the most criticism on our text inbox yet again is JT Miller. And I can understand why with what we saw here tonight by, you know, a lot of players in the team, but also specifically JT Miller. This one says, could JT care any less, although it seems great at telling others how to play their game. Knuckle Head Miller is a waste, do as I say, not as I do kind of guy. Put some you know what pep in your step. That's one text coming in. And a lot of similar sentiments about JT Miller's play tonight, Vic. Yeah, and the other day, we again we talked about the the moment uh, at the end of the game. And you know, for us, we kind of said not a big deal. Look, he's a fiery guy, and that and that sort of stuff thing is going to happen from time to time. And we, we were very focused on, like, the, the fairness of the critiques, right? Yeah. Tonight, very fair from all the listeners coming in because they're yeah. annoyed by the laziness. Yeah, and it was On very, the back check and, evident, yeah. and the giveaways. And tonight, yeah, this is absolutely a night where, you know, for me, there needed to be a little bit more, especially after what happened last game. But... I'm I'm hard pressed to find like the key moment where JT produced something offensively. And that's what been my biggest gripe. Yeah. And tonight the the uh, the body language stuff, of course, but the laziness was evident. The decision making obviously wasn't good enough at all. And you know we talked about the plays. I mean, even the first goal we talked about. You know, JT makes a bad play, not getting the puck through. Bo maybe makes a bad pass. To JT knowing the defender's there, and neither guy gets in front of the puck. I mean, you can throw blame there from both guys if you really wanted to. The second, uh, the third goal, they're on the the second goal. They're on the ice for it's on the power play. We all know JT makes the play. He gets all the you know all yeah, the attention. And, and, he makes a bad play, but Bo is also bad getting off. But but you can look at both guys for sure. But you know what Bo's done this year? Score twenty six goals. Yeah, and yeah. he's got thirty nine points. Yeah, and you know in tonight's game he got an assist. When he got the puck uh, onto Markstrom and Pedersen scored on the rebound, he made a great pass, the backhand feed to uh, Quinn Hughes late in the third, and Hughes couldn't score, hit Markstrom in the crest. But that was a great chance that they could have had to tie it up. So, yeah, we can criticize Bo Horvat as well. And, and believe me, I mean, people get frustrated with the amount that I've criticized Bo Horvat's play, despite the fact he's been so productive so far this season. But guess what? He's creating offense. He got a point. He created opportunities. JT's not doing that. And beyond all that stuff, I can live with, you know, the body language every once in a while. I can li- live with all, all the antics as long as you produce. And right now, your production ain't good enough. You and, know, and, so, and so and that to so... me is the biggest thing. You're just not, it's one thing, but you're not bringing the bottom line you're supposed to be bringing. And it's more so we can't even look to a spot where it's like, well, the shooting, the shooting percentage is just low, but the chances are there and this stuff will flip. The real concerning part is like even the underlying numbers of the chances don't look like they're there. And yeah. tonight, one shot on goal and one other attempt. For a guy who can put up 30, that's startling yeah. to, to see where this bounce back even starts. And, uh, again, I'd like to see him on a line that doesn't feature a Curtis Lazar or something like that. And so until we get that version, we up the critique, obviously. But last year, like again, he wasn't playing with a great Brock Besser, and Tanner Pearson was on his line. Yeah, and he was driving it. So there's proof of concept of you being able to work with even without teammates that are firing. So 
I mentioned the stat before, but I'll mention it again. Since joining the Canucks, JT Miller leads all Canucks in even strength points, 146, and leads all Canucks in power play points at 96. And he's scored, um, well, I think it's was 146 points in 238 games now. But those 238, this year at even strength, he has 15 points mm-hmm. in 36 games. So well below the normal pace he's at at even strength, and it's costing this team in a big way because we talk about how poor they are at even strength. A lot of reaction on the text inbox, William and Langley. Happy New Year's, guys. Happy New Year to you too, buddy. I'm not going to do a crusade against Miller, but holy cow, he looked awfully lazy tonight. Twice I had to watch him leaving the bench after l- losing the puck. EP40 is driving the bus like Sandra Bullock in the 1994 movie <laughs> Speed. JT looked like all the passengers <laughs> in that bus terrified and really not moving very fast well, it's, yeah it, it's three points in seven games now yeah so that's the thing it's, it's more than anything it's you're getting paid to produce put up points yeah and three points in seven games is not very good at all and yeah. so you got to provide the bottom line by hook or by crook and by any means necessary like even Bo's play, the assist tonight, it, it comes off a skate. Yeah. But it looked... Hey, at least you're end driving. Of the day, yeah. End of the day, you're driving and, and you're and, trying and again, to create he something. He created a great A scoring chance yeah. for Quinn Hughes to tie the game up late. Yeah. Quinn didn't score, but he created, you know? And where's that other side coming from, JT? Mm-hmm. That has to start coming in from JT. All right. Uh, a lot more reaction on the text inbox. This one says, I agree the coaching staff isn't finding enough answers, but does that mean they deserve to stay for the remainder of the season? This team is falling back into listless form, and that should not be tolerated. We'll answer that question. We'll get to more of your text messages. We'll hear from Bruce Boudreaux and your phone call. 604-280-0650 or toll-free 1-888-275-0650. Canucks lose in Calgary against the Flames 3-2. Sat and Bick on the Canuck Central Post Game Show on Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet Radio Network. Now more of the Canuck Central Post Game Show. Join the discussion. Text us at 650-650 or call us at 604-280-0650. This is the official home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet Radio Network. Here's Miko to center, right wing to Miller. Into the Calgary zone, stood up by Lewis. He lost the puck. Rasmus Anderson carries right wing to the Vancouver line. Two on one for the Flames, shorthanded. Anderson in front for Coleman. He scores! For the second time in the period, the Canucks get caught on a two on one, and this time it's Blake Coleman with a shorthanded goal to give the Flames a 2 0 lead. And yet again, far too casual from the Vancouver Canucks on the power play. They're unable to enter the zone with possession. Puck is given away. Canucks lose 3-2 in Calgary against the Flames, and this is the Canucks Central Post Game Show on Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet Radio Network. Keep your thoughts coming in to our Dunbar Lumber text inbox, 650-650. We'll get to those coming up in just a moment. Grab a phone line, 604-280-0650, or toll-free, 1-888-275-0650. Those holding on to your phone boards, we're going to get to you in just a moment, so hang on, and we'll get more uh, as the show goes on as well. And we hear from head coach Bruce Boudreaux and Canucks players here, Bick. But a lot of reaction on the text inbox, 650-650. Uh, this one here says, uh, you guys make it sound like they lost 6-1. I think they're playing with AHL goalies. I mean, I don't know how anybody can say goaltending was a problem here tonight. Spencer Martin made a, Battling. Num- Spencer, a number of massive saves, especially on the first... Um, 
in the first period, and then specifically in the third, made a number of huge saves to keep it a one-goal game. Yeah, I mean, goaltending's been somewhat imperfect at times this season, but Spencer Martin is giving you still above-average goaltending, and if you're blaming goaltending on a game where the Canucks get outshot and outchanced you know, pretty handily, and they make a number of crucial mistakes which lead to grade-A scoring chances and odd-man rushes like we talked about... You can't let them off the hook and blame the the backup goalie for letting in three goals when he made more saves than you can expect in a game like this. Like, you're letting everybody off the hook by trying to say, oh, it's the backup goalie's fault. And and honestly, like, what does Spencer Martin have to do with other people's effort? Backchecking, like we've talked about that today, in particular with JT Miller, unforced errors, peppered throughout the game. A lot of that is how you handle yourself. has nothing to do with who's in between the pipes. And Spencer Martin held up his end, especially in the first period on the power play where the Flames had chance after chance after chance. Spencer Martin was there. A lot of things that are ailing the Vancouver Canucks have nothing to do with whether they get good goaltending or not. It's how do you handle yourself? Mm -hmm. And too often, we we talk about the Canucks needing inspiration. There's too many players that are uh, secondary passengers. What? Way too many. And the, the types of mistakes they're making, the, the efforts on the details, the lack of effort on the details, and JT Miller's been taking a lot of criticism, and I understand it here, on our text inbox. Like Bill from Buffalo says, it should be J-me Miller, as in J-me. That's pretty funny. It's pretty funny that. That's path. pretty good. Is that, should we call Jamie Dodd J-me? <laughs> no, we should call him JT. That's actually worse. <laughs> I'll raise you. I'll raise you a Jamie. Or JD, because that's yeah. his initials. And we'll just say it really fast so it sounds like JT. <laughs> hey, JD! Uh, let's see what's going on. Uh, it's the laziness that drives us crazy is what one, t- one text message says, and I, I understand that as well. Uh, keep your thoughts coming in. We'll get to more of your texts here uh, in just a few moments. But let's go to the phone board, 604-280-0650 or toll-free, 1-888-275-0650. And we'll start things off in Terrace where Aiden is on the line. Aiden, thanks for calling in. Uh, what do you have for us tonight? Happy New Year to you guys. Happy New Year. Um, so, question for you guys for last game, actually, against, what was it, Winnipeg? Mm-hmm. Um, with uh, Colin Dealey and that, and, um, like, not going to the bench with, like, a minute left, and JT Miller, like, yelling. What was that about? I didn't really catch that there. Uh, yeah, uh, thanks for the call. Uh, again, we went into way more detail <laughs> on the last post game, so you can grab that on the pod. Uh, but essentially... There was a missed signal. Either Delia doesn't see it, Bruce kind of gives it at the one minute, nine second mark. You can see it on the TV copy. And either he misses it or the strategy between, I think, what Delia wants to do of getting the puck out of the zone or what Bruce wants it, major miscommunication. And they essentially burn 18 to 20 seconds Yes, trying to get the goalie out yeah. while they have possession of the puck. And JT... Through his frustration, mm-hmm. waving his hand, yelling yeah. at Delia, and then goes behind the net, smashes the stick. It's not a good look, and I understand, like we said, like JT's got to ideally channel some of this frustration a bit more productively. But at the same time, I can understand someone's frustration. I'm willing to be a bit more lenient and let someone fly off the handle from time to time because traditionally he is very productive. And the bigger complaint I have is he's got to have a higher standard of production right now at least chance creation as i mentioned going to break he's gotten three points Mm -hmm. in the last seven games in the previous 24 games he had 23 points yeah and do you notice that recently 
the only the JT Miller conversation is picked up because the last seven he has three, but the previous twenty four it was wow you're actually break even and you have twenty three points. And the opening seven games it was a real big problem because you weren't producing. You got to produce. It comes down to the bottom line. And as I said, Bo Horvat's game is imperfect, and we can talk about the first goal. You know, bad pass JT, neither guy is able to stop the pass, and it leads to the chance on Lindholm. The second goal, JT, you know, a bit of a lazy change. Bo Horvat, lazy change as well. They both move out of the way. Bo gives Rasmus Anderson the lane to go the other way. But as I mentioned, Bo's at least outscored his problems. Bo at least got an assist tonight, maybe a bit lucky, but created a great A scoring chance that Quinn Hughes could have scored, who, who didn't score in that chance, but created opportunities. JT hasn't done that. And if JT was doing those things, I could be sitting here and defending him. You know, I'll be like, hey, no, hey, like we did earlier, say, hey, yeah, listen, yeah, he's not, he hasn't been as good as you want, but overall, the bottom line is kind of there, and as long as it's there, he's he's not as bad as you make it out to be, but when you're not producing, you're yelling at teammates like the other night, you play the way you did tonight, you don't really have many skates to stand on, you know, and that's kind of where he finds himself. Trucker James, do you guys not think all the antics, calling out teammates for being immature and being a leader is rubbing off on the players? I mean... JT's been like this. The one thing I will say, JT's been like this since he got here. Like, literally this year, I want to say it was in March. Remember we were on the post-game show, and we had Luke Shen yeah. on the on the post-game show? And we asked him, like, hey, what happened in the in the locker room? In the second in, second intermission, you guys came out totally different. And Luke Shen's like, yeah, Millsy told us to step it up, and we were obviously not good enough. Yeah. And we have to be a heck of a lot better. On and on and on. And we kind of got that, and then... It was asked in the post game, and Bruce kind of mentioned that too. He's been consistently himself. You might not like that version of it. That's fine, and I can understand why it rubs people the wrong way. But he's been consistently himself, which it's a different personality than people are used to, especially in hockey. But this idea, like everything's got to be homogenous and the same thing, that's a part where I'm like, that's unrealistic. There's different personalities in life let alone just in hockey, the yeah. expectation that everything's got to be the same way and won the same way. So I'm okay, and I'm a bit more lenient on incidents like we saw the other day. I'm not lenient in the lack of effort tonight. And then That's no bottom line. Yeah, and, then, and no bottom line. Hey, how do you make up for it? And you're not making up for it in other ways. Uh, Kevin from Richmond, what is, it going to, what is it going to take to sit Miller for a game? He's a liability uh, on the team. I don't think he's going to get benched. Like I don't think it's going to happen. What it's going to take, a lot more than what you've seen. And that's just the reality of where it's at. We'll get to more of your text messages and your comments coming in to our Dunbar Lumber text inbox. But let's go back to the phone board, 604-280-0650. And we go to Toronto, where Bikram's on the line. Bikram, thanks for calling in. What do you have for us tonight? Hey, guys. Hope you're doing well. Happy New Year. Same to you. Yeah. So the thing that's it's it's starting to get frustrating. Well, it's not starting, but it has become frustrating. It's, it's adding to your frustration. Yeah, it's 10 years of the same stuff. And the thing that scares me the most is that we've entered, well, the comp, the team has signed JT Miller for long term. And this is what it's, if this is what it's going to be for the next, I don't know, eight or nine years, whatever the contract is. The thing that scares me that it's his play is not what scares me. It's the potential that people like Petey will leave the team because they don't want to be a part of a team that's always losing. So I'm just really concerned about the roster construction. It's the same issue year after year after year for the last 10 years and I feel bad for you guys that have to sit there every game and talk about the same thing and over and over again so um, as you can tell I'm just 
sick and tired of everything. So I hope you guys have a good evening. Hey, uh, Bicker, thanks for the phone call. And hopefully 2023 makes you feel better watching the Canucks. We'll see how this year ends. And really quickly, we say this all the time. While we appreciate the thought... Don't feel bad for us. No. Hey, Sat and I live in the dream. We get to talk to you guys. Even on New Year's Eve, we are hyped. Like, coming into work, I was like, yeah, New Year's Eve was sad talking to you guys. This is awesome. So don't feel bad for us. Dude, I had people being like, man, like, you know, oh, I, feel, I feel bad that you have to work on New Year's Eve. I'm like, I don't have to go out to, I don't have to force myself to go to a New Year's <laughs> Eve party. This is fantastic. I get to cancel and bail on all my friends. Oh, this is terrific. This is great. Uh, but yes, the, the frustration again tonight. Uh, not a good effort. No, I mean, it wasn't a good effort. Overall, it wasn't. It was way too many mistakes that they've made as well. I mean, it comes back to shooting yourself in the foot and costing yourself games. And that's what this team has done way too many times. Now, as far as Elias Pettersson being afraid of... I mean, you know what? Hey, fair enough. If you want to make the point, does Elias Pettersson even want to sign here long term if he doesn't see there's a route to winning consistently? That's a fair question. We don't know that. We'll find out this off season. I've always been under the impression that if the Canucks come with the right number, they can make it work with an extension this offseason. But it depends on how the rest of the season goes. What moves do you make by the deadline? What moves do you make leading up to the draft, heading into July 1st, and the time you can sit down and talk to Pedersen and sign him to an extension when new league year kicks in? All those things will probably factor into his decision. Hey, maybe there's a number that makes him stay. Well, maybe it's so high that it essentially is a trade demand to some extent. You know, so I think it's I think Bikram makes a fair point. Mm-hmm. I still believe they'll get Pedersen signed this offseason. But it's it's fair to wonder if it's gonna be as straightforward as, as it should be and whether there will be a lack of patience from Pedersen to want to remain a Vancouver Canuck for many more years to come. If you put eighty eight million in front of Elias Pedersen this summer and he says no then okay, you'll get some clarity on where this might be going. You'll go through another season and it could just be a leverage play to say, hey, I want to see what the cap goes up to for sure. But if you come to this offseason and you give and, and you say to Elias Pettersson, I, I'm just putting out a number. I don't know if that's actually what it's going to be, although I wouldn't be stunned if it's $11 million AAV. Yeah. If you put $88 million in front of him and he says no, then okay, you got a big problem. But until you get to that stage, it's very difficult for a human being to say no to $88 million. It's very difficult. It's what happens oftentimes is a player will secure the bag. And then maybe in a year or two, like, you know what? Trade me. Jack Eichel, kind of same thing. Yeah. You know, like, and I'm not saying that's going to happen, but the point is when you have control over a player and you have two years of control remaining beyond this season, and he's RFA after next year, so two years of control remaining, and you put that much money in front of him, it's like the JT situation. It's like you put $56 million in front of him, even if, even if you wanted to go elsewhere, how, how does he say no to that when he doesn't Gosh. know what next? Like, okay, so I, let, let's say JT did a said no to the $56 million, and he starts the year this way and then finishes this year poorly. That's why you take the contract. Yes. That's why you take the deal when you get it and you don't say no, even if you do have a desire to go elsewhere. Because you don't know what's going to happen. I've joked for years on air here that I tried getting a no sat clause putting in my contract. They're like, do you want to work post games with sat? And I was like, oh, absolutely. What an opportunity. <laughs> what an opportunity. Right now, sign me up. You and put it, $88 front of million dollars in front of someone, they're going to say no because JT Miller's on the team? Come on. Lifelong dreams achieved of securing the bag. And he's going to say no because JT Miller. And I get it. Look, he's going to earn money elsewhere and all that sort of stuff. But... It's still $88 million. It's a lot of money, man. It's a lot of money. Uh, Mike Texan says, Trade Miller, I like his positives, but I don't want seven years of his on-ice laziness and those antics. That's Mike texting in. Uh, we'll get to more of your thoughts here coming up uh, in a second on the 650-650 inbox. We'll get to one more from Austin and Langley. Can't figure out if this team's rival is making good decisions with the roster, cap space, or being over 500. Maybe next year.
So yeah, who's your biggest rival? It's probably you and yourself. Uh, that's what it seems like. It's like that meme where the guy's looking in the mirror and yeah. pointing. He's like, yeah. "You will not be my biggest rival tonight." <laughs> that's precisely what it is. The Canucks of twenty twenty two. You will not be my biggest rival tonight. I will overcome myself to play this hockey game this evening. All right, uh, we have a lot of fun, and like Austin and Langley, he's always in for the jokes per sixty, and we're we're big fans of the jokes per sixty. We can end the year with a lot of jokes. We love that here on the post game show. Uh, let's go back to the phone. Board 604-280-0650 or toll-free 1-888-275-0650. And let's go to Maple Ridge where Gary's on the line. Gary, thanks for calling in, my friend. Uh, what do you have for us tonight? Uh, first of all, can you hear me all right? We got gotcha. you. I had a interesting discussion with the producer. Uh, I believe his name is Cam. He's a, he's a good guy. It's Eddie tonight, I'm, actually, uh, but yes. Uh, well, and I'm uh, My problem with the Canucks is this. Um, yesterday I was listening to the fact that we sent Nils Almond down to Abbotsford and we brought up Will Lockwood and they were talking about the fact that uh, Curtis Lazar and Armand were both okay situations, but they didn't cost us anything. Well, the problem with that is this. Uh, Nils uh, Almond was uh, on the penalty kill and our penalty killing is 68%, which is dead last. Uh, that's important. We all know that. Now, our lovely um, general manager has had 30 games last year and 30 games this year to fix it. He thinks that Curtis Lazar is going to fix it. He's a throwaway from the, from the Boston Bruins. I know that because I, I watch them all the time. They're a great team, but Chris Lazar was not, he was in there, but not doing much. Mm-hmm. And Nils Allman, again, 21, 22-year-old rookie, and I'm not blaming him. In fact, I'm not blaming the, the players. I'm telling you that, simply put, our general manager had, start, had better start doing his job because the Vancouver Canucks are not going to improve until he does. And uh, I, I, I watch them. I like them. And by the way, J.T. Miller, it is not his fault. It was the um, – I was listening to the uh, uh, the coach. He even admitted that he made a full par. Well, it wasn't a mistake. It was a you-know-what, and I won't say that word because I can't. Yeah, we we'll hear you. Hey, Gary, thanks well, for hey, – any thanks, more thanks. thoughts? I ha- oh, by the way, Happy New Year. Great stuff. Thanks, McGarry. Happy New Year to you as well. And, uh, you know, just overall on Patrick Alvina making trades, and, and I see a lot of the texts as well coming in here, Bick, to our Dunbar Lumber text inbox, 650-650. Um, I wish the Canucks would just tank. They always end up in the middle of the pack and rarely get a good draft pick. Uh, they're going to miss out on Bedard, sadly. Um, just really quick. Sorry, just really quickly right now. They have uh, the eighth uh, highest lottery odds Mm -hmm. and philadelphia and montreal and arizona are actually fairly close to them they have a Uh, chance right now so so the points percentage right now uh which i always uh like to talk about points percentage uh across the league yeah they're kind of in the mix Uh, ottawa they're they they have the exact same record as as ottawa and they've been trending a lot better and plus they don't have the looming spectacle of all these trades hanging over their for their franchise if you if you are at 500 you're probably going to have a bottom 10 record yeah, like 500 teams usually have bottom 10 records. That's kind of the way the league is, set 80 points, 78 points, because a lot of teams are over 500, so you kind of find yourself in that spot. It's going to so, be really hard to 
catch Chicago. Yes. Probably too hard to catch Anaheim and Columbus. After that, you're kind of in that mix of that area. San right. Jose is probably out of it. But, like, Arizona's four points behind you. We'll, we'll see ultimately what happens. With the game in hand, by the and way. And what they do at the trade deadline yeah. and, you know, when Demko comes back. But they could fall into a bottom 10 position and have a chance at Connor Bedard. That's very much in play with how the season is going. Uh, this one says what I'm looking forward to is more trades, of course. Management needs to start selling hope of a winning rather sooner rather than later. And what is it? Uh, and is management going to ready to pack it in on the season is what one other text says. And on that note, again, I don't believe the Canucks are waiting to make trades, waiting for results to force their hand on trades. I think they're just waiting for trades to become available. And, and it's we sound like a broken record saying this, and I know it's boring and it's not the fun take. Like, hey, you know what? Tonight, guys, it's the last straw. You know, start you know you know rile it all up, and you know we'll we'll stir it up and talk about how the Canucks now have decided to make trades. They've already decided they want to change the roster. They just haven't had the opportunities so far to make those types of deals. And again, look around the league. No trades are happening. There's no cap space available right now. They haven't missed out on some opportunity. They just haven't yeah. engineered the opportunity just yet. I think that's a great way of describing it. And so far, that hasn't happened. It has to happen by the time you get to the trade deadline. But I don't think they're waiting to decide. I think the decision's already been made. The question is, can you align on something? And outside of Bo Horvat and Luke Shen, I'm not sure they're going to make a lot of significant trades like i don't know if they're going to find a deal for besser people are asking on the text inbox where was besser tonight i thought he had a few good shifts especially on the uh, dries goal but it's a fair question for his season he's not been good enough so far this year no and uh, again this comes down to money and and this is why i've pitched it before of like someone like bo's value probably peaks at march 3rd just because of the way the money works if you if you retain fifty percent on Bo Horvat at the deadline is essentially six hundred and fifteen thousand dollars yeah. that it's going to cost a team and every day that goes by teams accrue more and more and more cap space and so that's the interesting dilemma that they have is at some point does someone meet that valuation because there's just a financial crunch around the league that's just a reality that exists yeah. I can't change for that for you. Patrick Alvin can't change that for you. Bo Horvat can't change that for you. That's just the reality. And as teams get closer and closer to March 3rd, they pick up more cap space. Even if you retain 50% right now, it's about you know $1.55 million, somewhere in that range. Just just open up cap friendly and say, who's got cap space at $1.55 million? It's like seven teams. Yeah. And some of them are out of the playoffs. Yeah, Chicago's not looking to make that trade. Neither is Arizona. Neither, when Buffalo's in it, but probably not looking at your guys. So it's a tough reality. Options. Yeah, it's, it's, I mean, it's not making excuses. It's just about, that's the reality of the landscape. Yeah. Good managers find a way to succeed in tough landscapes. Yes. And that's ultimately what they have to do. Now, what's interesting, and we were talking about it on the People Show this week, myself and Izzy, is the competitive market of trying to, yeah, beat the market. And Jim Rutherford historically is traded early. Yeah, and there's other talent around the league of Dylan Larkin. What happens there? Ryan O'Reilly, Jonathan Taze. So the center market, yes, can be a bit crowded. But here's the thing: Jonathan Taze makes way more money than Bo Horvat. Yes. So the, the complication of even just retaining half on Bo, it's double for jo- for Jonathan Taze. So you're gonna have to find a third party to pay off to even do that. Mm-hmm. And at that stage, do you want to do that? Yeah. Same thing for Ryan O'Reilly. Makes more money than Bo Horvat. St. Louis is dealing with that same issue. So it's kind of a chicken and egg or 
uh, chicken and egg, a game of chicken right now for Jim Rutherford and Patrick Alvine. What is the the leverage point where it makes sense to finally execute a trade and a team has opened up the cap space? If I said All Star break to you, February fourth, yeah, like before or after? When would you expect that trade? After. I kind of think so, too, because it, it makes the most sense. It does. I, You're I, absorbing a lot of risk here. Yeah. But if I asked everyone, if the right trade happened on March 1st, are you willing to wait this out? You should. But I don't think you have a choice, right? I mean, that's the reality of where they find themselves right now. And we'll dig into that a bit more here. And there was a question about Bruce Boudreaux. How long should they continue having Bruce Boudreaux as a coach when you keep seeing similar results? We are going to hear from Bruce Boudreaux. We'll talk about that, more of your text messages, more of your reaction, and we'll hear from Spencer Martin as well as the Canuck Central Post Game Show rolls on on the home of your Canucks, Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet Radio Network. Back to more Canucks Central Post Game Show coverage. This is where you talk Canucks on the official home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet Radio Network. Four minutes gone, third period. Flames lead the Canucks 3-1. There's a shot from the point by Ethan Bear. Stopped by Mark Sherino. They score! Elias Pedersen at the bottom of the right circle. Tucks it into the open net as Markstrom, out of his crease, was run into by Bo Horvat. The goal by Pedersen makes it a one-goal game, and the question now is, will the Flames challenge or not? They did not. And the Flames, however, go on to win the hockey game 3-1 over the Vancouver, 3-2 over the Vancouver Canucks. And this is the Canucks Central Postgame Show on Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet Radio Network. Satyar Shah with Bick Nazar. Keep your thoughts coming into our Dunbar Lumber text inbox 650-650. You can also grab a phone line 604-280-0650 or toll free 1-888-275-0650. We'll get to your phone calls coming up in just a few minutes. We mentioned we are going to get to head coach Bruce Boudreaux. He did meet with media and here's what he had to say after a tough loss in Calgary to end the year 2022. Sometimes your best players have to be your best players and uh, I didn't think our best players in that second period were our best players and consequently when that happens you know you you get behind the eight ball. Is that what inspired a little bit of a lineup shakeup in the third there? Oh they weren't doing it in the second had to move some people around you know I mean sometimes you got to roll the dice and See what happens, but uh, uh, if I had stayed with the same thing, that would have been, uh, you know, just they weren't going. What did you see out of your group in the third period in their pushback? Well, I mean, we got a goal. I mean, we still, I mean, I think uh, Calgary last ten minutes really did a good job of shutting us down. But I mean, uh, I still think there, that we could give more. I mean, uh, the battles on the one-on-one battles. I mean, we weren't winning and. And sometimes when you're playing a bigger team, you've got to get in there and get two guys and three guys in there so you win the battles. And uh, too many of us were looking to be in the spot where you get the puck and get it to me and I'll score rather than going in and helping to get it to, to you know, uh, to first of all create possession and then, uh, then get the ability to score. That's Bruce Boudreaux. Quick media availability, only a few, que- few questions and in and out in just over a minute time. But maybe the most cutting comment, and who did he move around? Bo Horvat, JT Miller, Elias Pettersson. He said our best players weren't our best players in the second period. That's why we were down 3 nothing. We, we talked about the line changes. The two goals that happened with uh, well, uh, with Petters, with uh, Miller and Horvat on the ice. Miller's bad, bad back check on the first goal. The bad change by Miller and Horvat on the second goal that went in. And in the third period, those are the two guys he split up. So it became very obvious who he was talking about. 
not having a good game tonight, especially and, in that second. And talk about weren't winning battles. Yes, and clear again. Blake Coleman, I mentioned he got a reward for his goal because yeah. 30 seconds before the goal, just engineers chaos out of nothing. And like Blake Coleman's a fun watch because he's always working hard. Yeah. And, and you know the production might waver, and he's only got six goals so far this year for a, for a UFA mm-hmm. that they brought in uh, last year. But he works hard, man. He competes. And at the baseline, I think that's what a lot of Canucks fans want to see from this team more often compete yeah and Blake Coleman just hustles on a four check on the PK blows up Quinn Hughes's stick takes the puck to the front of the net outworks Elias Pedersen takes the puck to the front of the net causes chaos Bo Horvat comes there and cleans it up to to grab a loose puck and and that kicks off the whole sequence that eventually leads to uh Coleman's goal in the second goal of the game yeah and you see those things you see them getting outworked you see the details in their game and, and that's and that's your leadership and that's what I keep harping on the leadership. Like, why want to keep? Why do you want to keep this leadership group together when it's so clearly lacking? And so many games and critical moments, they're the ones that are letting you down. And I think that's a big problem for this hockey team right now. And that's why they, they keep repeating the same issues. It hasn't been rectified. Accountability clearly hasn't been there. They talk about it, but we haven't seen it really be practiced or at least come through in any meaningful way. Um, you know, some people are saying Spencer Martin has to be better. This person texts in and says, however, the question is to what Spencer Martin has to do is he has to hit the crossbar with a stick angrily, obviously. <laughs> if he does that, maybe uh, we'll, we'll, we'll get more out of Spencer Martin. All right, we'll get to more of your text messages coming up in a second. Let's go to the phone boards, uh, 604-280-0650. The final show of 2022 as we ring in 2023 in just over an hour's time, hour and 22 minutes at this stage. But let's go to Coquitlam where Gord is online. Gord, thanks for calling in, man. Uh, what do you have for us tonight? Hey, guys, I think I have the solution to a lot of the salary cap problems, uh, or at least the blame of it, anyways. And I think it's 100% on the players' greed and 0% on the owners. And what they should change the rules in the league to be is, if you're going to negotiate a contract like a business does, then just do it like a business. That means when you have a contract, at any point in time, the business or either party can terminate that contract. If, if someone's not producing like OEL, Louis Erickson, at any point you can give notice and you terminate. The players got it too good. They can negotiate their contract, yet they're part of a union. If you want to have a union, then you want to base it on seniority. That means someone like Curtis Lazar makes more than a Connor McDavid because of the number of years of experience. You, you, you either have a union and you have set rules like that, or you negotiate like a business, and that means you can also terminate contracts. Buyouts still rewards the player and punishes the team with the AAV that still applies. That's all. Hey, Gord, uh, thanks for the phone call. Now, I mean, the flaw in the logic there as far as traditionally unions, you know, they value seniority. And seniority is valued in National Hockey League. You get certain benefits with seniority and those sort of things. But a union is there to to collectively bargain an agreement with the other side. In this case, the owners. What you collectively bargain is up to the unionship core. It doesn't have to look like union unions and what they normally negotiate for in other circumstances is a different league. But your collective bargaining agreement is what you as a union decide to argue for in the tenets of your union that you value, right? And generally speaking, in these unions, it's not like your traditional union. 
It's not about, hey, we're trying to keep people employed and give them you know, the, the best chance possible. Of course, that's part of it. But more than anything, it's how can we ensure that our players are making as much money as possible? That's what they're trying to do. You know, it's not about fairness. It's about how can we ensure our players are making as much money as possible? And it's not as simple as just telling the players that, hey, now we were going to have um, non-guaranteed contracts. We can terminate whenever we want. It's collectively bargained. And as long as something is collectively bargained, it's not going to change. And in an alternate universe, I'd love to see non-guaranteed contracts. Sure, right? I mean, I think, sure, I'd love to see it. But I also, if that's the case, you have to have a completely free market. Yep. And a completely free market means complete chaos. And I'm there for it. I, I like seeing those sort of things. I go back to European soccer and everything. I don't, yep. I don't mind it. But is, if you take the rules away, that means people can do whatever they want. Yeah. And suddenly, man. I've talked about this so many times. Like, there's so many interesting things you can do if you alter some things like this. For instance, no draft, right? And suddenly, 18-year-olds. Recruit them. Recruit them. You you can still have a salary cap and all this sort of stuff, and and it's going to create its challenges. But, yeah, but at the end of the day, uh, you come up with that idea, Donald Fair and – Matthew Schneider are going to be on line one for you. Yeah. And that's kind of – yeah. Exactly. Non-guaranteed contracts. Yeah, it's not going to happen. Are you kidding me? Yeah. It doesn't quite – I mean, I, I get it. It's, it's, not that, it's not quite that simple. And we're, we're over here fighting about $6 million. And, and Bob Goodno will come back from yeah. wherever he is right now. And, and, and I would say one thing that we have to do in general, and I know it's difficult because, you know, we live, you know, in, in the normal world. And then these people live in this completely different multimillionaire, billionaire world. Their unions look like nothing like your your unions at all. Like it's completely different. Yeah. Like the way they operate is completely different than normal life and normal businesses. And that's one thing I would always uh, keep in mind when it comes to what you see in the National Hockey League, especially when it comes to contracts and whatnot. Now, somebody was asking us about Bruce Boudreau. We heard him talk about his decisions, and somebody else texted in and said, uh, "Should Bruce Boudreau be held accountable for his decisions?" I, I saw this tweet that came in. From Johnny Dub, Bruce put out the non-functional lines together prior to the game. And why didn't he take responsibility for screwing up the lineup? The 3C experiment only lasted four games. As Johnny Dub on Twitter and others have texted in similar sentiment. And some are asking, how long can it continue here with Bruce Boudreau at the helm? Ultimately, I'm still going to be surprised if they move off from him this year. But it's... It's one of those things if where... If it happens before February, I'll be stunned. Is the worst sign for Boudreaux the fact that it keeps sending guys away from this team? The young guys? <laughs> Some talent? Right. You know, we had the caller earlier talking about Nils Oman. I think it was Gary and Maple Ridge. And, you know, Nils Oman had been struggling a little bit. The underlying numbers really yeah. didn't look kind and certainly don't look kind for Curtis Lazar either. Um but, you know, put Coles in and Hoaglander, they didn't really take a step. And, you know, what's the ultimate output difference between Studnika and Drys instead of um, Hoaglander and put Coles in? I also think it's an investment from the management group looking at it and saying, hey, look, some of our young guys, we need to at some point draw a line in the sand and be the ones to teach them the game correctly at the, at the lower level, at the minor league level. And hopefully when they return, suddenly they can craft some roles here. Because the other thing, too, is that, and it, it always you know strikes me as odd, every game we look at, it, it's like 20 minutes for JT Miller, 20 minutes for Bo Horvat, 20 minutes mm-hmm. for Elias Pettersson. Why? Because you look at it, and shorthanded time, Bo Horvat has to play 2 minutes and 16 seconds, Elias Pettersson, 2 minutes. Now, JT Miller doesn't get as much uh, shorthanded time as much uh, yeah. nowadays. 
Well, I mean, but hey, I mean, JT, we like JT's terrible in the PK. Get him off, and we, they got him off the PK. And Curtis Lazar and Bo Horvat aren't much better. Not any better. They're actually, I, worse. I think they're both in the top fifteen of goals yeah. against per sixty for forwards. And you know, across I, the league, Gary and, made the point when he called in about Curtis Lazar not being good enough. Completely yeah. true. But the thing is, it's like guys like put Coles in and Hoaglander. They're not going to learn the PK at the at the NHL level. No, and he, so you hope they get that time to work on that and. Someone like put Coles in feels like he should be a penalty killer. Yeah. Well, I, he should I, be. Th- there's a lot in his game that l- feels like he would, has smart defensive instincts, but it's tough to just throw him out there at the NHL level and say, figure it out, Rook. My my biggest thing would be, do they feel like there's going to be more harm done by what's going on here to the young guys they want to keep on the roster? And if that's the case, I think then you may you know have your hand forced on making a move. But as long as the guys you can send down, it's like, okay, Almond, you go down. Those guys go down. You get them away from this, they can still work on their game and can develop. And part of that, I think what that shows is, again, Bruce isn't coming back. But I just think they, they'd rather not make that choice still. Like, I, I think the res- as frustrating as it is for fans who want to see playoffs and results, I, again, I don't think it just comes down to results. I could think it comes down to overall environment. And how detrimental they feel it might be, and I'm not sure they feel like it's bad enough at this stage where they have to make that move. And I just wonder if the, if this is a, is also a subtle way of not playing another card, right? We've talked about this before. They were put into this position of solving yeah. the coach, and and that's one the one one of the reasons why I kind of still have a little bit of leniency on how we accurately judge this management group to build their program. It helps to have your coach, and they've not been able to hire their guy yeah. just yet because this is a making of someone else's doing, a, a decision of someone else's doing. And given all the controversy that happened in the offseason, mm-hmm. I just wonder if this is a play. It's like, okay, like we'll live in this reality, but we have to live in this reality for another year, and everything gets paused until we get our guy in. Yeah. and Which sucks. But that's kind of where you're at. And, but and, I understand the the reasoning to say we don't want to pay three. We don't want to be on the hook for paying being third, the ones that pay a third coach. And with the way this season is going, ultimately, why play that card right now? It, it has to be really bad environmentally and for them in the organization, I think, for that to happen. And I don't think they're at that stage yet, despite what everybody feels like, what they're seeing on the ice and what they're seeing. I don't think they're organizationally they're, they're at that stage. Uh, we'll get back to more of your text messages on the on the Dunbar Lumber text inbox in just a moment. But we mentioned Spencer Martin did everything he could tonight for the Vancouver Canucks between the pipes. Allowed three goals, but still gave him a chance to tie it up in the third period. Didn't quite work out. And here he is after a 3-2 loss in Calgary. Yeah, um, you know, c- coming into the third period, I knew that we had the type of group that's proven that we can come back from those type of deficits. So uh, it's too bad we couldn't close it at the end, but we, we sure uh, came close there. What did your group do in the third period that was better than the first two? Uh, I think that's just the way the game goes sometimes. Like, obviously, we stuck with it. Uh, we played, we simplified maybe in the, in the neutral zone a little bit, and uh, we got pucks to their, to their net front, but uh, just couldn't find the last one. Sting a little bit more knowing the proximity of these two teams in the Pacific Division standings and it being a quote-unquote four-point game. Yeah, yeah. Um, we, we need these type of games. We've been really good in our division so far this year, but um, yeah, it does. What's the rebound look like for your group heading into next game? Well, we're going to go and have a two-game homestand. So, uh, you know, we've been playing great on the road, so it's disappointing that we didn't come home with any points on this trip. Um, but we're going to have to bounce back and make it really hard to play in Vancouver. That is Spencer Martin after a 3-2 loss in Calgary. They go back to Vancouver. Got to make it a lot tougher. They're back. They're under 500 now, Bick. 
You know, like we mentioned, Cal Surprise. You know, uh, they had to win that game against San Jose, but they really needed a split to stay at 500, especially with the games at home coming up against tough opponents. You're home at home, but you have some tough opponents coming up, and now they're in a position, Bic, where they have to make a run on home ice against some tough teams, and that's not going to be easy. A lot of texts and thoughts coming into our Dunbar Lumber text inbox six fifty six fifty. Bic, what are the people saying here on the final day of twenty twenty two? LD in East Van Canucks games are looking like all star games. No emotion, no hitting, <laughs> just individual skill. Thank God I saw real hockey in the 80s because this is not real hockey. I turned the channel to watch Cheers, uh, LD and East Van. That's an Oof. 80s show. Dude, that is uh, this I mean, one. That's when the last time you saw good hockey, too, I guess. Uh, agree with the coaching staff. Uh, agree that the coaching staff isn't finding enough answers. Uh, does that mean they deserve to stay for the remainder of the season? This team is falling back into listless form. That should not be tolerated in this one. Hey, guys, Isaac from Surrey. Just wanted to know what you guys think on Hughes' play tonight. Found he struggled a lot in the defensive zone, and it is worrisome that he still hasn't figured out defensively, Isaac from Surrey. I was more concerned about uh, him getting outworked in the defensive zone. Not so much positioning and instincts. He got walked a couple, and Coleman stole his lunch. There were just a couple of moments where like a guy just out-muscled him off the puck, or at least through the physical battle that's the the more concerning part. As far as, like, where he should be and stuff like that, Quinn is a pretty smart hockey player. He's usually in the right spot. Usually he's in the right spot. It comes down to decision-making every once in a while and just winning those battles. And it's one of those things where what makes him great is the fact that he's so chill all the time and that he's so relaxed and he's nothing phases him. But at times, that kind of attitude, or at least that type of play defensively, I think it gets the better of him. You see it sometimes when he drops the stick, he's a bit slow getting it up. It's like a bit too nonchalant. And when you're defending, you can't be nonchalant. Unless you're so good with your stick and you're so good with your positioning that you can knock things away. You kind of have to be fully engaged at all times. And I thought, you know, Quinn Hughes, it kind of mirrored the team. I thought he played his best hockey a couple games ago. And then just like the team has tailed off, mm-hmm. he's also tailed off. So it's been a frustrating year for Quinn. He's got a lot of points. He's been good still. But he's not playing at the level that you would say, okay, this is what a franchise defenseman looks like. He has, he's not playing like that this season. By the way, he smashed a stick against the wall tonight too. The JT effect? Uh, I'm just saying. Like he, he, he did the same thing. He couldn't convert the chance and uh, late in the third there and just getting behind the net. Just a smack against the wall. Uh, one more text uh, as we played that Martin uh, clip. Uh, jokes per 60 here. Is that Miller taking out his frustration on a door behind Martin? Can we hear I'm the clip, Eddie? Those type of deficits, so. <laughs> deficits, so. People picking up on the sound effects in the background. Deficits, so. Did he think that was Delia talking? Deficits, so. <laughs> Tell him it was Spencer Martin, not calling Delia. Deficits, so. <laughs> we meet with the media after a win. Deficits, so. <laughs> You got to work harder. Deficit, so. <laughs> Good pickup in the Texan box. Uh, fantastic. Fantastic. Uh, love it. Jokes for 60. We're, we're here for it at all times. I uh, like this one here, Tyler. Is that is that Miller taking it out of frustration on the door behind Miller? Jokes for 60. We, fancy. So. we love it. We love it. Good stuff. Um, there's one that just came in here, Vic. Do you guys think there's a market for Miller if the Canucks retained $1.5 million? It's not a lot of money, even if it's for seven years, with the cap increasing and players like Myers and others coming off. I think if you convince someone to take Miller at $6.5 million, I think they'll take him at eight. Yeah, I think that's part of it. The other thing, though, is... If I, I still don't believe it's a, like a, such an onerous deal. It's like, oh my god, no, no one's going to take no, this. Not, not only that, not only that. Like, but, but here's the bigger thing: if their decision making process was so flawed 
that they looked at a seven-year deal they signed a guy mm-hmm. and say after 35 games. 35 games, say, oh my God, not only do we trade this guy, let's, let's retain money on a deal he has, that hasn't even kicked in yet. Mm-hmm. That would show so little fortitude. It would show so little thought into what you did and the signing you made. And some are listening now saying, that's true. Yeah. They have no fortitude. They have no foresight. That's what they're yelling right now. That's what they're saying. I don't believe that's the case. But that's how a lot of fans feel. If you go and make that deal, like the texture mentions, you're retaining salary in a contract you just signed three months ago. They deserve to get fired on the spot. Like, honestly, if Rutherford and Alvin make that trade tomorrow, they deserve to be fired on the spot. You know how dumb that is? You sign a guy and then you, you punt on it? Pending what the return later? is. Uh, hang on. Pending what the return no, no. is. Oh, yeah. Oh, and the return, if you're retaining $1.5 million, has got to be a, a beautiful I, return. I'm just saying. Like, it's like a first-round pick and a prospect or something like that. Yeah, well, I'm, I, not, I'm just saying. I'm yeah, first-round pick and a prospect, and you retain $1.5 Like The prospect's <laughs> going to be amazing, Big. Isn't that realistic? Like, if you're making that deal. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. I'm, I'm just giving you it out here. My point is, if you're punting on the contract, not trading for – the point he's making is you've got to punt on the contract. Right? That's the yeah. point the texture is yeah. making, that you're going to retain money and punt on a contract. If they punt on this contract and have to retain money on it and take less, less of a return back, come on. And again, like, and again, I, I, I point this out just for fairness, okay? I understand the frustrations on the overall play of JT Miller. We've echoed them tonight as far as the effort and all this sort of stuff. It is still 30 points in 35 games. Yeah, and, but it's and not look, thirty six games now. It, it, yeah, sorry, thirty six games. It has to look better, obviously. Yes, and it's got to improve. It still puts him in the top seventy, I believe, of points for a guy that currently is. Sorry, he's top seventy five. Yeah, currently his contract has not kicked in. Yeah, and so the, the traditional rate is. One million for every ten points. Yeah, he's on pace for about seventy. So yeah, I mean, so so even at the eight million dollar AAV, it's like he's marginally behind that level of production. And that's the point. I think is bang on. And we ju- we've been spending a lot of this post game show criticizing JT Miller's play tonight. Absolutely, but it's it's about being fair and being accurate about the big picture of it. My overall point is, if you're punting on a player you just signed to a seven year contract three months later, your process in signing the player is yes. completely flawed. Like and people in in charge can't be making decisions based on that. And if you believe in the player, you say, okay, he's having a bad thirty five game. Hey, heck, he might have a bad season, but we believe he's going to bounce back. Guys are going to have some ups and downs over the course of a contract. How confident are you as an organization? That's going to be true for the next seven years, or most of those next seven years. And I still think organizationally, Bick, they feel confident that he will do so. So. I would just pump the brakes on get rid of JT for anything, and the team regrets his decision. I don't think they do at this stage. Even though in the, in the moment, it doesn't look and feel great. Uh, 650-650, this on signed text. Uh, prediction, Canucks go 0-7-3 in their next 10 games. Islanders, Colorado, Winnipeg, Penguins, Lightning, Panthers, uh, Carolina, Tampa, Avalanche, Edmonton. It's going to get bad, folks. Happy New Year. And we talked about that, this 12-game stretch that they have coming up here. It wasn't just that they, oh, tough game or tough 12 games, you go 500 and you're okay. Considering the start of the season, considering where they were at 500 going into this stretch or a game above 500 going into this stretch, they actually needed to get more like 18 of Mm. those 24 points if they wanted to make a sincere push towards the playoffs. Right now they start to 0-2. Doesn't look great, you know, and... 
the math was going to be hard no matter what. Yeah. And you kind of and we mentioned like at Christmas you you got to be at 500 at, at the latest and they got to 500. The question is can you launch off from that point? And they haven't. They've still sputtered. You know, and how likely is it you're going to be over 500 after this month? Oh, extremely it's, it's, it's extremely unlikely. Extremely unlikely. It's unlikely. It doesn't mean it's it's not going to happen. It I, I would say it's happen. like a 35 to 38% chance. Yeah. I mean we have more time to really break this down on the other side here, but I'll, I'll quickly mention the games coming up here in January. New York, Islanders at home, and Colorado at home. Then you're on the road in Winnipeg, Pittsburgh, Tampa, Florida, and Carolina. You have a five-game road trip coming up. Winnipeg, Pittsburgh, Tampa, Florida, Carolina. And by the way, you've already uh, lost twice to Winnipeg. Yeah. Uh, you beat Pitts- Pittsburgh at beat home. Pittsburgh at home. Uh Tampa's always going to be tough. Colorado's going to be tough. They lost to Florida here. Yeah. And Carolina, we saw what happened in that game here against them. And we can go through the rest of that month, but we talk about that month determining it. Midway through that month, it can determine. That road trip, I think, more than anything, is going to determine by January 15th where this Canucks team is going to find itself. We'll get to more of your reaction on the other side. Ian McIntyre will join us for the final segment of the Canucks Central postgame show for 2023. Canucks lose 3-2 in Calgary. More of our thoughts coming up here on Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet Radio Network. See liquor. Enjoy responsibly. Now more of the Canucks Central postgame show. Bringing you the most Canucks coverage in B.C. Only on the official home of the Canucks. Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet Radio Network. On the end boards, pinned to the wall by Michael Stone. Tries in to help out, gets it to Besser. Stone pins him to the wall, puck comes free to dry side of the ball, trying to scoop it past Markstrom, they score! Sheldon tries at the side of the net. Was able to fight it across the goal line, and the Canucks get on the board to make it 3-1. And this is a greasy goal, but they all count the same. Sheldon drives in and around the crease. Canucks dropped their final game of 2022 in Calgary against the Flames 3-2, and this is the Canucks Central Post Game Show. One final segment for 2022 as we look forward to 2023 here on Sportsnet 650. Satyar Shaw with Bick Nazar here with you uh, this evening, and keep your thoughts coming into our Dunbar Lumber text inbox 650-650, and uh, we are going to get to Ian McIntyre coming up uh, in a few minutes' time as well to put a bow on this game and the year that was. We were talking, Bick, about the schedule, and let's kind of go through the month really quickly here. We mentioned the next two games on home ice before a five-game road trip, the Islanders and Colorado. At best, you're looking at a split in those two games, right? Because Colorado, they've had their injuries, but not an easy team to beat, obviously. The Islanders have had their struggles, but still a team that has been playing a bit better of late as well. Winnipeg, Pittsburgh, Tampa, Florida, Carolina, as we mentioned. And then when you come back home, Bick, it doesn't get any easier. They have Tampa... Colorado and Edmonton and then you get an easy one against Chicago so I mean up until January 25th 24th when you play Chicago you essentially have what one somewhat average opponent and that's the New York Islanders yeah so so far this year I believe I have this correctly. So if you if you double check this and call me out uh, feel free to uh, do that but so far this year they have eight points against teams that are have a higher winning percentage than 600 yeah. or trending to be a 100-point team, basically. Yeah. Eight points. So, sorry, the Florida Panthers are a team or just below 500? 
uh, 600 I'm talking about. 600, yeah, but I'm saying Florida's actually under 500. Yes. So they're, they're not Florida's making, under 500, yeah. Yeah, and the Islanders are actually playing a lot better. They've won three in a row. They've yeah. actually gone up. So I retract my statement and say the Florida Panthers are the only average team you're facing. Yeah. Everybody else is above average. Coming up until the 24th when you face Chicago. Not only is but it going to be... They're playing 365 hockey against teams that are projected yes. to get 100, 100 points this year. So not only are the Canucks unlikely to be over 500 over that stretch, it might be a struggle to remain or be at 500. They're heading into January under 500. So if they're going to end the month over 500 or at 500, they have to have a winning month. And we just went through that schedule, the first 24 games. Again, those are the first, those are the first games until the 24th, and then you have Seattle, Columbus to, to end the month. And yeah, maybe those three games, Chicago, Seattle, Columbus, somewhat winnable. They've beaten Seattle, although Seattle's having a good year. But yeah, they've they're, beaten they're them. Getting results uh, so far this year. Col- Columbus has had its struggles. But look, that month we just went through, for them to be 500, they have to have a winning month. Yeah. And odds are you're going to have a losing month, or at least at best be 500. So, and the whole thing just shrinks. Yeah, The whole season just shrinks a little bit more. And at that stage, you're going to be 500 in February. And then the all-star break, the bye week, uh, the the gap is just going to widen and widen and widen for the playoffs. And so, again, even just being 500, which already isn't a good enough standard, you know, in the league, um, really puts the clamps on what this team can produce. And ergo, why there's always conversations about what Patrick Alvin and Jim Rutherford can and should do. And sure enough, if they're 500... You're going to see changes. Yeah, you are. A call from Caribou. So is the bottom 10, 11 teams have a shot at Bedard asking for a friend? Yes, the bottom 11 Correct. teams can have a chance at Bedard. And they are currently eighth yes. in odds, which gives them a 6% chance. Yes, absolutely. Uh, Trucker James, if it takes retaining 1 to 1.5 million to trade JT for Lafreniere, a first and a third, do you do it? No. Wait. I'm getting three pieces? Yeah, a third, a first, and Lafreniere. And you're retaining $1.5 million for seven years. I mean, I... Yeah, maybe. I don't know. I mean, 1.5, yeah. That sucks. You're retaining I, I'd rather years. find another trade, yeah. Yeah, I'd find, I mean, again, like if you're retaining money on it, and you're not even getting that piece you're looking for. Lafreniere is a good player, but he's a winger. You need a center still. You need a defenseman still. Those are the things that you need. You're not, if you, for you to to make the, for me to be say okay to that, you have to get a premium piece. As you're in, like, in the premium right wheelhouse, position. James. It has to be a center, and yeah. it has to be a or like a top end center, like Nemich from New Jersey. If you get him back, for instance, sure. I, I'm more the like the the cap space opening up is is potentially the more valuable tr- part there. But I'm also of the mind that like, well, you, I mean, you, you need to get if you just want to do the cap space, you do a salary dump. Don't, yeah, don't the, take back the, the, the assets. Yeah, like that's if you fair. just want the cap space, yeah, that's fair. And if you want just want the cap space, then why we even sign him in so the I, first place? Like it's, I'm just entertaining Trucker James's thought here of, of the trade. It has to be like for you to retain money on JT Miller's contract four months after you signed it, five months after you signed it. It's going to have to be a premium centerpiece plus something else for premium defenseman. Makes sense. Checks okay. out. That's just kind of the, the way I see it uh, on that aspect. Now, we, we've talked about special teams for this Canucks team. And heading into the game tonight, we knew how much the Canucks 
PK struggled. 67% efficiency heading into the game. The Canucks PK has been so bad, Bick, that it's so... Hist- the Canucks PK is- How bad has it been? That, that, that felt like a bad joke. Yes. Punchline. Yes. Uh, the Canucks... Uh, the Canucks... And I don't have a punchline for this one. <laughs> the Canucks PK is so historically bad that a historically good power play would st- still deem their overall special teams below average. Off, like Ooh. you've heard the phrase eighty twenty in hockey. Like you want to, if you get eighty percent of your PK, twenty percent of your power play, that's right. average. That's respectable. Like that's that's solid. Like Canucks, if they have, if they were clicking at thirty percent efficiency, which would be the best power play ever for a full season, at thirty percent, they'd still be below the hundred mark. They'd so still they still be, be at ninety seven percent. If they had the Oilers power play, which is thirty three point three percent right now, if they had that, they'd be at hundred. They'd be just at average. Yeah. So. Special teams is a problem, and you know Bruce even mentioned it uh, in the post game, uh, where he talked about his best players uh, needing to be their best players. He didn't think they were in the second period. Had, th- had to move things around in the, in the third. What do we see in the second period? He sent the second unit out. Yes, on the power play, and they struggled to get the puck out of their own zone. No, it was even worse. That- but that was like you want to talk about messages being sent. There was one coming off of a, I think it was off of a TV timeout as well. Yeah. And the, the second unit goes out there and did not look all that encouraging. But the, the, the first unit struggled. And on top of giving up the shorthanded goal, they didn't really create a lot. Like the first power play was the Quinn Hughes point shot was maybe the best chance. Yeah. And that's, they didn't create anything on the power play at all. Mm. But the biggest issue, and it wasn't tonight, has been the Canucks PK. And it was interesting listening to Boudreaux yesterday talk about the Canucks PK. And, and here's what he had to say about what he's seeing from the individual players and what they're trying to accomplish on the penalty kill. Here's, here's Bruce Boudreaux from yesterday. We're doing what, what uh, we think is the best way to, to kill penalties, which is we follow the top five teams for the last five years, and, and uh, uh, we've got to get the, the guys doing the right things instead of going up uh, on their own page a lot of the time. So, I mean, uh, the only way you can... Uh, improve that is if you do uh, practice and penalty killing a specific. And now, most of the times you do that, you're doing a power play versus penalty kill. A lot of our power play guys play on the power play, so they don't get the, the penalty killing um, practice in. So, I mean, you look at last night's game, I mean, they got two power play goals and a penalty shot goal. That's uh, There's the difference in the game, right? And an empty netter, or, or we win. And, and too many times of the have as a situation like that uh, uh, happen so we're, we're trying desperately to correct it and fix it and see if we can't get a run of penalty kills. In your experience, X's and O's is one thing, certainly the way you draw it up. But to be successful in penalty kill, what does it ultimately come down to? Uh, it uh, sacrifice is number one, uh, blocking shots, uh, getting the clear, not trying to score the goal. Like I mean, the the ultimate thing is getting uh, getting the puck down the ice. And sometimes you have a tendency when you're behind to, okay, we're going to cheat and we're going to blow zones, and that's not not the idea. We want to kill the penalty, then we'll go for the goals. That is Bruce Boudreaux yesterday talking about uh, talking about the penalty kill and what we saw uh, from the Canucks the last couple of years. I mean, the last, the last couple of weeks, especially in, in this season as a whole. But one of the big problems that I have with that overall statement of his and not necessarily part of what he what he had to say, but in general, what what I've seen is a lot of guys are essentially going rogue. 
You heard him talk about that too, just making their own decisions when they're out there and they're not really being attentive to what they need to do. And we talk about how this team sometimes chases goals. We see this oftentimes as well. You know, cheating to try to make a play and even on the PK. And hey, I'm all here for the power kill stuff. But when you're struggling to get the puck out, just get it out. 100%. And, you know, the, the tonight there was a moment too in the first period uh, after the JT Miller uh, penalty. It was uh, Bo Horvat and Elias Pettersson up top. And I don't think either one like made a mistake here, but because of that, those comments yesterday, you kind of keep an eye on it. And, you know, Horvat kind of signals to, to PD to kind of go up top and they kind of rotate. And it was one of those moments where you look at it, it's like, hey, PD's got such a distance to cover. Is this the right move here? And he's coming from the left side to take the right point. And sneaking in behind them was, uh, I think it was Kadri, kind of cre- creeps in. And as the forwards are rotating, just on the right flank, there was Kadri to be able to sneak in. And it was just because of that comment yesterday, you kind of looked at that and said, okay, was one of those players going rogue and trying to do their own thing? Uh, you know, again, the reason I detailed the communication between the two guys is because maybe not in that moment, but it was, it comes from a nothing play for a puck at the right point and Kadri gets this open opportunity and then you go through that power play, you know, Cuberto is a trailer, gets a, a good chance. Kadri's got a high bumper one timer. Uh, Dubé has a chance off the rush on a, on a dump in where it's a set play. And then, you know, Michael Stone launches a big one timer as well that the forces Martin to make a rebound play. There was a lot of chances on that first power play and, and Spencer Martin was yeah. the, the, the best penalty killer by quite a margin. Uh, he, he was significantly their best penalty killer. And I, and I thought it was odd that some people were even texting in and saying, Hey, blame the goaltending mm-hmm. tonight. It's like the goaltending's given them a chance. Go back to earlier this season. Sure. I mean, Demko had some bad nights, but how many bad games do the Canucks have? How many mistakes do they keep making? How many times do they shoot themselves in the foot? And they've been doing that all season long. So you can't really hang it on goaltending when your environment is worse than last year's as far as the chances you're giving up. You know, for for all the talk about, you know, Travis Green last year, and again, like, you know, bad job with the team and he got fired and you know everybody feels how they feel about him. But the Canucks were better defensively under Travis last year than they've been so far this year. PK, sure. Wow. But overall, defensively, yeah. like they've been worse this season than they were last year. And that's a problem. You know, you're not finding those answers. And as far as on the PK, too, he kind of mentions their best players are killing penalties. They don't have other choices, really. They're not practicing it. They're not really practicing it either. So how do these guys get better at it? It's tough. And I'm not sure what... Here's where I do feel for Bruce a bit. Because we talked about how the Canucks need a right-handed centerman. How how big of a conversation was that last year? Uh, Canucks PK, if they had a right-handed centerman, maybe it wouldn't be this bad. Well, they go out and get a right-handed centerman who doesn't play center and doesn't really win draws, and he doesn't really help them kill penalties. So you can also hang it on management a bit because even though it's a small investment, it's, it's $1 million for three years, that bet hasn't paid off the way they had hoped. Play center, he's not, and help on the PK, and he's not doing that either. Coming into tonight, uh, Bo Horvath had taken 71% of the shorthanded faceoffs. Wow, 71 71 yeah. coming into tonight. Uh, I'd have to look at the numbers tonight to confirm that number. But it's, it's somewhere in the range of 180 shorthanded faceoffs they had, and Bo's taken 128. And he's mm-hmm. 50.8 uh, shorthanded. Yeah. Rough. Brutal. Brutal. It's, it's and, rough. And someone like Curtis Lazar, 
need to find another role, and he's taking a landed and shorthanded faceoffs. Yeah, no, it's tough, tough spot. All right, uh, let's welcome in Ian McIntyre into the conversation. We call him the closer. He is a triple threat. You hear him on t- you hear him on radio, see him on TV, read him on digital. He is Ian McIntyre. One more time for 2023. This feels like no way to end a, a year, does it? No, it doesn't. But is talking it... to you, I was excited all day about this. <laughs> this could be the highlight of the evening, Vic. Exactly. <laughs> oh man, what a performance! Yes. You, you know, it didn't honestly, and I know there's been a lot of talk about this the last 48 hours. It really didn't matter that much that J.T. Miller yelled at, at Delia to go to the bench at the end of the Winnipeg game, but it certainly mattered how poorly Miller played tonight. Mm-hmm. And I'm not uh, singling him out, but he's, you know, let's face it, he's the talking point. Uh, I just thought after the, the, the controversy, which he doesn't care about but was well aware of, I just thought that he was going to have a, uh, a big game tonight and uh, – had one of his one of his poorest games since the first couple of weeks of the season. Yeah, and I think that's the m- more frustrating part. It's like, hey, you want to hold guys accountable, you're trying to win, that's great, but you talk a big game, you got to start walking it. Yeah. Yeah, well, he wasn't talking a big game, wasn't wasn't talking uh at all, but yeah. uh you know, he's he's supposedly one of the leaders on this team. Let's remember last year as well that a lot of people were saying he should be the captain of this team. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people said the same thing uh, the season before, the pandemic season, uh, that was so difficult uh, on the Canucks for how he, you know, some of the things he said during the shutdown and, and how he tried to lead the team. Uh, I've always maintained that he is not a suitable captain because of his emotions. That they they run too hot and cold, but they are they are what they are, and the Canucks are well aware of them. But you need some positive emotion from him on on a night like this. And again, there was lots of company tonight. It, it's it's bewildering to me, as I'm sure it is to to everyone. The the lulls that this team continues to have in the middle of games. You know, the second period in Winnipeg was atrocious. The second period tonight was not much better. The shots weren't quite as lopsided. But the Canucks giving up those three goals, two-on-two-on-one two goals, another one that got, you know, just exhausted at the end of a shift. They couldn't get a clear or, or a play. Uh, was almost as bad. Like, it... And then in the third period, as in the Winnipeg game, when you were looking for a big surge, there really wasn't much. You know, Calgary basically retreated, so they weren't, they weren't well, they still had a couple of Blake Coleman breakaways. But, you know, the Canucks with just seven shots on net in the third. I think they had six on net uh, in Winnipeg. That's right. In the, in the third period. You know, these are games that you're chasing, and games that you actually, as bad as you've been, they're right there for you to salvage something, mostly because your goalies have been so good. Delia in, in Winnipeg and Martin tonight, and they just failed to take advantage of it. You know, it, it's, 
It's uh, frustrating for uh, a lot of people to watch, I'm sure. And it just feels like, as we've been talking about almost since they started the season with with seven losses, you know, the change has felt inevitable, substantial change has felt inevitable since then. You know, we thought it might start with Bruce Boudreaux and maybe lead to some players. So far, there hasn't been any substantial change, but it sure feels overdue now as we head into 2023. Them running hot and cold as a team with their own personalities, and it's also kind of their power play as well. It's three in a row with no goals. Uh, now, there was only three opportunities the last two games, but tonight, uh, four opportunities. And we saw the first unit even get benched to start a power play, and it, it just feels like you live and die by the power play, and here you are uh, 0 for 7 in the last three. Yeah, I and on a night like this, at least just don't give up the shorthanded goal. Right. Like if if you're going to be bad, I mean they didn't give up they didn't give up a power play goal. Calgary only had two chances. They didn't give up one. So just at least don't lose the special teams. Don't lose the game on special teams. They it, for, for as much as they were outplayed in Winnipeg at the end of the night. The difference was they lost the game on special teams. They gave the Winnipeg power play scored twice. The Canuck power play scored none. Um, and tonight, you know, one goal game, the difference ends up being the shorthanded goal you gave up. They had only three shots on net on the four power plays, which is the same number of shots that the Calgary Flames had shorthanded. So that told you how bad the power play was tonight. But honestly, you know, the power plays are cyclical, and it's been very good. It's going to go through these spech- these stretches. I just combined spells and stretches in one word. Spetches. Put the champagne where, down where, again. Put the champagne yeah, down. Where it's not going to score. I mean, this happens. It's the NHL. But when you're not scoring, at least don't give up the shorthanded goal. And it was the seventh shorthanded goal. And, and Boudreaux... You know, said a couple of weeks ago, I forget after which game it was, where they'd, they'd given up a, a, a second straight shorthanded goal. You know, he pointed out that two of them were with the goalie out and they were pressing yeah. at the end. But still, it, it's seven shorthanded goals against, and we're at game 36. Yeah. Well, it's it's a massive problem, and I mean overall, the special teams has has been a huge failure for this team. And you know, we were talking about this as much as we can blame this on a lot of the individual players here. Um, we look at the coaches; they haven't really found any answers. It just seems to be a collective failure yet again. Like even for management, they go out and sign Curtis Lazar to hope to help with the PK. Not only has he not been a center really for this team, he hasn't really won a ton of draws, and he hasn't really had success on the PK. It just seems like everything they've tried to throw at the PK, whether it's from the coaches or management or individual players, nothing seems to be working. Yeah, and uh, don't forget about uh, Mikheyev as well. Yeah, and and listen, Mikheyev's having a, a good season. That's definitely a hit for the Canucks in signing him. They're paying him an awful lot of money. We'll see how it goes over four years. But the season has been good. But, again, one of the driving factors in in signing him was to help with the, the penalty kill. And, and uh, you know, I think he's, I think he's done what, he's, what he could, but it hasn't, hasn't affected the bottom line. In fact, they're, they're probably worse. Uh, you know, they had, the, they had the historically bad start last year on penalty killing. But from the time that Boudreaux took over to the end of the year, I think they were around 80%. You know, they were a top-half penalty-killing team the last uh, two-thirds of the season, 
we haven't seen we haven't seen any real uptick here from the Canucks on on penalty killing this season. And maybe they're going to finish with the worst penalty killing. It sure looks that way. But right now, uh, the combination of the two, just the the untimely power play, but also you know the the shorthanded goals that the power play has surrendered, in combination with just all the all the power play goals they've allowed, it it has been a huge factor in where the Canucks are right now. Actually, just really quickly on Mikheyev, it's one of the things you know with the the, the coaching staff. It's like I I don't understand like why the insistence to not have him be the first guy out there every single time because you you kind of go through the numbers here and you know Lazar is I think third in the league for forwards for goals against per sixty. It's and he's his minutes aren't that dissimilar to uh, Mikheyev's. Uh, they're they're fourth and fifth of the fours to get out there. I, I just don't understand why McKay is not the number one guy out there every single time. Because you go through his numbers, they're actually pretty good uh, on the PK. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we're seeing Horvat and Pedersen a lot, right? I think it's having the right-handed center option for draws. I, that would be my guess. You know, because yeah. you have sure, him both together. Oh, you're, both started oh, sorry, the you're, you're speaking specifically Lazar over over Mikheyev. Yeah, yeah. 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 Or just, I, I don't even care. Like you, yeah. you sign the guy to be the PK guy. Yeah, just you. put yeah. him out there. Yeah. yeah. Well, a lot of it, uh, a lot of it, honestly, is he's been so bad on faceoffs, as has everybody else on the team, not named Bo Horvat. Mm-hmm. That that Horvat and I heard you guys just when I was coming on uh, talking about that. Um, how many draws Horvat has taken? Jordan? They have nobody else who can win a faceoff, so they're they're always they're always going heavily on on Bo. I think that has a trickle down effect on on everyone else. You know that 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 Bo is starting uh, virtually every every shorthanded situation, and often you know comes back out after one shorthanded shift on the same on the same disadvantage and we'll have another because there's another face off. So that that's been a problem. That's been one of the big disappointment disappointments with uh Lazar but also with with JT Miller as well. That Miller has gone you know, I don't know exactly what his his power play is or or sorry his uh, his face off rate is right now. You guys maybe have it in front of you, but he's yeah. lost about 10 points. Mm-hmm. From last season, so he's at forty nine percent. Okay, so he's down seven. I think he was fifty six last year, right? So he was, uh, yeah, he was uh, around fifty five percent last year. But here, here is a breakdown. So Sim, when he joined the for the three years prior to this season, when he was with the Canucks, he was at fifty five percent, fifty five point three percent. He is six percentage points, six percent lower than what he's been normally in Vancouver, which is odd. Like that's significantly lower than what he usually is at. Yeah, and if you look at uh, you look at him shorthanded. You know the real startling totals when you add up shorthanded faceoff wins that that Horvat on his own you know laps the field multiple times, like on just nobody else wins a shorthanded draw. So that's that's been a huge factor in in their penalty count. That's part of the reason why in so many games and obviously it didn't happen tonight. Uh, you know with just two chances for the Flames power play and they didn't score, but in so many of these games. You know they lose they they lose the draw, and the puck is in their net within 20 seconds because they they just lost the draw and they're so poor at at 
at killing penalties and playing four against five that if if you let the other team start with the puck and give them the full two minutes, they really don't need it. You know, you're not going to – you basically just go to the bench after 20 seconds or 30 seconds and because the the power play is over. They've scored. So it's it's a factor. And then when you – and we're all doing this now. We're, we're starting to think about life without Bo. So what does that mean for later in the year if he actually is traded or even next season? You know, if if he's not back and so you – Presumably, if he's traded the way the season's going, maybe the last month is garbage time anyways. Who knows? But, you know, for the future, you know, what do you do if, if you don't have anybody who can win a draw? So it's, it's a really unsettling situation for the organization to be in. Yeah, and uh, ultimately, uh, I don't know if any of, any of those answers are coming early on in the new year, but the new year is upon us in about 33 minutes, Ian. So we'll let you go and get to the festivities for the evening, and we'll say thank you for all your great work in 2022. We look forward to making it even better in 2023. Well, it's nice to be on with you, and I want to thank everyone who listens to us and puts up with us. I just wish we could be happier tonight. This is a night where, you know, it's supposed to be positive and and thinking about the good things and how fortunate we are and how hopeful we are for 2023. Instead, we have to talk about another loss like this. Yeah. But it is, it is only hockey. So, you know, everyone be healthy, be well, be, be good in 2023. And hopefully for Canucks fans, there is more, more joy in store for 2023 as well. Ian, great stuff as always. We look forward to reading your latest on sportsnet.ca. Happy New Year, guys. Uh, Happy happy, New Year to you. Same to you, Ian. Great stuff, as always, uh, from Ian McIntyre, our closer on the evening. And this brings us to the end of the program, the final show of 2022. Uh, Special thanks to all of you listening, being part of the show, texting in, calling in, uh, and just idly listening half the time or or all the time, whatever it is that you do. Being a part of this is what makes us show up every day and have a lot of fun on the show. Uh, even though it hasn't been the successful run we all hoped for this Vancouver Canucks team in 2022, uh, we still are blessed to be here and wish you all the best in 2023. All the luck, health, success, and everything you'd wish for coming up next year. Very well said. I know it's kind of late, uh, so maybe some people are already out. Uh, please... Be safe tonight. Yes. Uh, whatever you have to do, transit is all free tonight. However you got to get home, Ubers, cabs. Uh, I, I don't know if uh, Operation Red Nose is still running on New Year's, but like anything, call a friend, whatever. Be safe this evening. Do not uh, make bad decisions. Here. 100%. Do your best to head into the new year fully intact and making good decisions. All right. Thanks very much, everybody listening. He's Big Nazar. I'm Satyar Shaw, and he's Fast Eddie Gregory on the board. You can also hear him calling Vancouver Giants games regularly here on Sportsnet 650 as well. Again, thanks to you. Happy New Year to you all. And this has been the Canucks Central Post Game Show on Sportsnet 650.